It's great to be together this morning. We got all kinds of folks in the room. We got babies. We got people all over the place. And so what we want to do, hey, kids, everybody, everybody say hi to the kids real quick. Yeah, so we, we are NCC is really happening today because we are all in the room together. And so what I want to do is have a time of prayer. Um, what we believe at North Canton Chapel is we believe that not only, not only every generation is important, but we, do, we believe the next generation is very important to the future of the church and the future movement of God in this world. And so I want to pray for us together as we are all one in the room. So if you'll bow with me, let's have a time of prayer together. Father, we are, we are so grateful to be gathered in this room this morning. And Father, we believe, we believe that your only son, our savior, Jesus, came, was crucified, died, rose, ascended to on high, and sits. And he is not just the hope of some, but the hope of all. And for all of us gathered today, Jesus, would you increasingly become our hope in life? Lord, for this next generation that's in the room, Lord, we pray for you to, to be with them. Lord, we pray that you would raise up people in this room to be investors in their lives. Lord, that in this next generation, Lord, that you would, you would grow them to boldly and courageously and fearlessly live for you and your name alone, Jesus. But Lord, I pray for all generations in this room that, Lord, we would, we would model the way that we would boldly and courageously and fearlessly live for you, Jesus, above all other things. Jesus, we believe that you have made us to be the church, to live in the day-to-day -day loving you more than anything else. And so, Lord, we pray that in this season of our church in the days to come, Lord, that you would bring unity that you would bring peace, that you would build us up. And Lord, as you build us up, that you would send each of us out for your good purposes. So Lord, we pray for your blessing to be on these little ones. Lord, we ask for your blessing to be on us as a body in the days to come. Lord, we are grateful today for this time together. And Lord, we pray that as we continue to worship, that you would be with us. But now, Lord, we pray for all of these gathered together, Lord, that you would help us to love you more than anything else. This we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, let's thank the kids for being in the room. I think they're going to go out. Look out. They're going to go out. And as they do, um, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts 9, verse 31. You can wave at them as they go by. Give them high fives. Debbie and I have 20 of these kids in our home. They're all girls. All right. So today is, we are NCC Sunday. And um, thank you for um, those of you who are with us first hour. Um, those of you who have just come for second hour, that's cool. We're going to catch you up really quick. Um, but it is a good day to all be together in one place and space um, to worship and also to come together of where is God taking us in the days, months, and years to come. So in Acts 9.31, um, I want to read to us this passage. And so if you will this morning, stand with me in honor and reverence of God's word. We're going to read Acts 9.31. Be on the screens if you don't have a Bible with you. So Acts 9.31 reads, 
So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Father, would you teach us from this passage this morning what it means to be your church, to be your church that experiences your peace, that experiences all that you have for us. Jesus, help us not to live in rebellion, but in complete submission to you that we might be the church that you have made us to be. And Lord, let our definitions of that church be found from your book, the Bible. Jesus, help us today, we ask in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So a little bit of backdrop in this text. So the book of Acts is really the history of the church. And and the history of the church starts like this. So Jesus, right, he walks a perfect life on the earth. He is arrested in the garden, right? His body is broken for our sin through the punishment, right? Through the scourgings, through the beatings, through the mockings. By hanging on the cross and suffering and pain, His blood is poured out to cover all our sins. Jesus is crucified on the cross. Then after his crucifixion, three days, he lies in a tomb. On the third day, he rises from the dead. He defeats death, hell, and the grave, and he walks for 40 40 days on earth. And in those 40 days, there's 11, 11 occurrences that we have in Scripture of Jesus walking around in his teachings. The last that we know is that Jesus went to the disciples and he said, now go into all Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Check it out. That verse we just read um, referred to some of that. And so we'll get there in a second. So he says, go into all Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so they did. And, but before they did, Jesus said, go into the upper room and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. They go up in the upper room. They wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. They go out. Peter preaches a message. 3,000 people become Christians. They give their life over to Christ, and they're baptized. And in that, the, the church, what happens? It is multiplying. It is growing. And there's a community that forms in Acts 2, 42 through 47. And in that community, what we see is they are devoted to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to gathering in each other's homes, to giving to one another as any has need. They, they give, and at the end it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, meaning there was a community that was connected, that celebrated, that contributed to the greater end of what God was doing. And by that, they were reaching and restoring and reproducing, that there was this movement that was outward and it was moving forward. And so then the church begins to grow more. Peter and John go into the temple, and as they're going in, they heal a lame man. And as they heal the lame man, he's healed, right? And not only is he healed, but he's given complete strength. And he's jumping, and he's leaping, and he's strong. And then all the people that were in the temple had seen this lame man lying on the ground, and now they see him leaping and jumping. And so they are going, what's going on with this? And now, add 2,000, 5,000 now are of the believers. 2,000 people from this instance come to faith. Now, the religious elite <coughs> have some problems with this. They don't like it very much. He's messing with the establishment, this movement. So in their issue with this, their trouble, Peter is brought before people. Talked about this a little bit last service. (coughs) He's brought before the people, brought before the religious leaders, and the religious leaders 
say, knock it off. Don't say this anymore. And he says, I won't stop. There's no other name in which men must be saved in the name of Jesus. They fearlessly proclaim this good news. But as the book of Acts goes on, it doesn't end up so peaceful. People don't like this message very much. And they begin to take extreme measure against it. The extreme measure they take against it is that the first martyr that we see is the deacon, Stephen. So there's order and structure put in the church. And then Stephen, he proclaims this good news and this message. And they stand before him and say, stop it. And he says, I will not. He proclaims the gospel. And then in his proclamation of the gospel, he dies a martyr's death, though his face shines like the sun. He dies a peaceful yet horrific death. So then Stephen, he's, he's martyred, dies for the faith. And then there's this guy. His name is Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul. Saul, the Apostle Paul, um, he's, the, the words in the book of Acts are he was ravaging the church. So ravaging the church, he actually held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. And so he was a man that was there. He was amidst it. He was going house to house, finding Christians, saying, stop doing this, um, stop professing this. They wouldn't. There was great trial in church. Now, Apostle Paul is saved miraculously. Jesus himself strikes him. He goes into town. He becomes a Christian. He gives his life to Christ. Everybody's kind of a little creeped out. When, when the Apostle Paul comes to their prayer meeting, they're like, what? It's going to beat me up. Like, what's he doing in our prayer meeting? And they're like, oh, he, he was miraculously saved. And Paul begins to extensively give his life. And so in this time frame, it doesn't say in the book of Acts, but what we can deduce by the greater record of the New Testament is in this time frame, right before we get to 931, Paul had already been beaten. In Corinthians, it says that four times he was beaten 39 times. He was already beaten, lashed 39 times for the faith. Probably at this point, he was already shipwrecked and abandoned. But this passage is coming to the end of a section in the book of Acts. The end of this section is the gospel moving out in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Now, it's about to go to the ends of the earth, and God's going to use the apostle Paul to do it. But in this kind of end of this era that is kind of going to continue to move forward, there's this verse, and it's Acts 9.31. It's sort of a transitional verse, to say, of the movement of the gospel moving forward in line. Now, what did Jesus tell us to do? Go into all Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. By the way, they obeyed Jesus, and this happened. Note to self, it's always good to obey Jesus. So Acts 9.31 says again, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So the backdrop, right? Wave one is in motion, beginning of the next, movement forward. The church is increasing and people are giving fearlessly for this great work. The church embraced this core DNA. They existed to be the church that represented Jesus every day to everyone, no matter what the cost was. At NCC, we exist to be the church who makes much of Jesus every day to everyone. The church has not changed and it never will change. This is the core DNA of what God desires for every Christian and for every church to embrace. But today in North America, we find ourselves in kind of an odd place. There's lots of churches. Anybody drove by a church, another church on the way here, right? Yeah, there's lots of churches. Let me give you a little bit of insight into this. So 
there's a book that was written called Multiply, and the book Multiply was written, and it did a study, and the study was what are, and it kind of based the end of the study on there's, they, they, their deduction was there's five levels of churches in North America. Level one is a declining church. That means that their attendance is no longer growing, but it is declining in number. I, I don't know, anybody know any of those churches? Some of you might be from some of those churches. They're declining in number. Level two church is a plateaued church, right? That it, it, it's kind of staying steady, barely. A level three church is a growing church, right? A, a growing church, meaning that it's increasing in number and size and attendance. A level four church is a reproducing church, a reproducing church. And so a reproducing church is a church that is, is starting new works and new things and sending. And then a level five church is a church that's multiplying, which is different than reproducing because that which is reproduced then reproduces itself, moving to the first, second, third, fourth, fifth generation. So there's voices to each of these churches. The, the voice of the declining church is this, please come back. This is what we say, and that's if you were in that church, the, the dominant voice would be like, please come back. The people that have lost, if we could just get them back, if we could get them back, then we could finally move forward again and be what we once were. The voice is, please come back. The level two, plateaued church, the voice is, please don't go. Let's just stop doing everything, batten down the hatches, and let's just hopefully stop anybody else from leaving. Plateaued. This makes up 80% of the churches in North America, declining or plateaued. And these are the voices of the church. 80% of the voices of the church are, please come back or please don't go. Now, a growing church, the voice is, please come. Please come. Come to our services. Come to our events. Come to our activities. Now, this is not a bad voice, but I guess I'd argue I don't think it's the ultimate voice of what we see in the book of Acts. And so it's this voice of saying, please come. And we do. We want people to come to our service. We want people to be a part of this. This is the dominant voice. This makes up 15% of churches in America are this growing population of churches. Now, when you get to level four, reproducing, the voices changes. The voice is, please go, right? Please go. And the voice of that church is, please go and be on mission with your life. Please go and do the will of of God with your life. The will of God doesn't happen in this space only. It happens in all spaces. Go, 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 and achieve all that God has for you, that when you meet him, you might get a well done, that good and faithful servant. Obedience, living for him in the day to day. And that's a reproducing. And that's, that's again, 4% of churches in America. Level five It's multiplying, and the voice is not just kind of one generation, second generation. The voice is, let's all go together. And the let's all go together is that this is kind of how it works, is that there's this guy that I spent four years with. His name was James Talbert, and I spent time with James Talbert. I said, James, the things I'm giving to you, please give away to others. And James plants a church in Akron. And he plants a church in Akron, and he begins to give those things away. And if that's all that James does, he has failed, and he knows it. Because it's not about James and it's not about Citizens Akron, but it is about the gospel being saturated in every facet of our society. And when James is really successful, he's planted another work and they've planted another work and there's another work and another work. Or on a micro level, what it looks like in 2 Timothy 2.2, as Paul said it like this to Timothy. Timothy, these things I've entrusted to you. Paul to Timothy. 
You entrust to faithful men, Timothy to faithful men. And those men will then entrust it to others. Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others. Multiplication, that it is an exponential work that is happening, not just addition, but multiplication. Any math teachers in the room, multiplication gets you more, right? That it moves faster, it spreads rapider, it's viral. And I believe that in the New Testament, what we read in the book of Acts is a multiplicative movement, an exponential movement that nothing ever ended with anyone. It moved from generation to generation, that every church, that every person, that every, the expectation was multiplication. And so where are we going as a church? We are going to a place of aiming to be like less than 1% of churches in America. Meaning that we want to be a church that reproduces ourselves at every level. Whether it's in a children's classroom, whether it's in the nursery in a children's classroom, whether it's an excellent person that excels at loving those little babies in the name of Jesus and singing to them well, and someone else comes along and sees them doing that, and they reproduce that work in them into another. By the way, we need children's workers if you are willing and able to sign up. There's a place in the lobby to do that. And so that, or when we send a missionary out to a place like Thailand, It isn't a win just to get him there. The win is that he might give away what has been given through a residency program and what was invested in him right here at the North Canton Chapel, that other churches and other planters and other people would come to faith and they would reproduce that work exponentially, that at every level we would be reproductive, micro to macro. So... What do we see in Acts 9.31 that informs us of a core organizing DNA of the church? Let's read it again, Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The church had multiplied throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And so the church was exponentially spreading outward. There, were, there was a peace, and it was being built up. There was peace in hearts. There was a break in the persecution. They were being built up, strengthened, and encouraged. Now, hear that. This is there was peace, and it was being built up, meaning there was great opposition. And so, so how this would have looked is, say, me, your pastor, having scars, and wounds that you could physically see from my head to my heel from a scourging. Of being in fear of my life in many sleepless nights where you prayed that the gospel would move forward through some of your leadership. The apostles and the prophets and each and every believer suffered this kind of persecution. There seems to be a pause. There seems to be a break right now in church history where God says, I'm going to give you peace while. Have you ever wanted just a season of peace where the unrest seemed unmanageable? Like, can we keep on? I believe that God loves us, and I believe that he gives us these kind of seasons of peace, and I think we see it in the church in this section, that there was, there was a peace that was given to them in this time, peace in their hearts, a break in persecution, and they were being built up. They were being strengthened and encouraged deeply within their souls. The church had two core identifying markers in this time. The Christians were walking in the fear of the Lord. The Christians were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. 
They were walking in the fear of the Lord, meaning they were taking seriously the faith. They, they knew that they were ever living their lives under the watchful eye of God. There was nothing that was done in secret, that everything was done before God. They were taking seriously the faith, taking seriously God's authority, that there was one who had an authority over them, that they were not in charge. They were living in the fear of the Lord and holy reverence and submission. They were taking seriously, again, living under the watchful eye of God. See, I believe in this, they understood that they were created in the image of God. They understood that they had fallen from grace and only through the person of Jesus could they be redeemed. And they were being recreated increasingly to live out his ways in the day-to-day of their life. And one day they would forever, living in the reality of heaven, in the moments of earth, in the moments of their life, so that they might be faithful to Jesus in all they said and do. And I, I believe that in their hearts, there was this deep desire saying, I want to honor Jesus. That in the day-to-day of my life, desperately more than anything else, I want to honor my Savior because he loved me enough to give his life for me. Christians were walking in the fear of the Lord, not in the vanity of their flesh. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. And Christians were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They were confident in the Holy Spirit of God. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. They were ministered to by the Holy Spirit of God. And oh, that his spirit might fall fresh on us this day. At the North Canton Chapel, might we live increasingly filled with, confident in, empowered by, and ministered by, ministered by, and this word that it says that they were that they, they, they lived right in the, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the actual kind of language has this idea: it's, it's to call to one side. I mean, there wasn't a moment that they were living where they hadn't called the Holy Spirit to their side, and they were living empowered in the moment to moment, day by day, by the Holy Spirit of God. I believe we live in a day where we need fresh fire from heaven through the Holy Spirit of God in our day, in us, in our hearts, in our souls, in our land, in our church. We need to live in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And what that looks like is this doesn't make sense. But Holy Spirit of God, I trust you, and I will find comfort in you and you alone. Christians were walking in the fear of the Lord, and Christians were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And what was the result? The church was multiplying. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. At NCC, we exist to be the church who makes much of Jesus every day to everyone So what have we done? We have multiplied ourselves outward. The gospel is reaching out. The gospel is moving forward in our day, in our time, in our land. But I believe for us, these are some things that maybe we could pray toward. And I believe that God wants to give us in this next season of life as a church.
found in this passage. Might the Lord grant us in the days to come a season of peace. A peace and a unity walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Each person individually embracing this that brings a peace and a unity amongst our body. Might we each build one another up, support each other, care for one another, walk alongside of each other. Might we walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, recognizing that we are living moment by moment, day by day as a body under the watchful eye of our God. And then also, might we walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit right, to call to our side, to live in the reality of the Holy Spirit's presence in which is when he is present that we can be filled with, confident in, empowered by, and ministered to by him. Might we embrace a DNA of multiplication in the years to come, not settling for anything less than what we see in the book of Acts, reproduction at every level of our church. I believe that's what God desires and wants for us above everything else. So, in light of this, in light of this, might we not distance ourselves from the harvest? Say this, might we not distance ourselves from the harvest? Each and every one of us in this room, if you have been called to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you have given your life to serve him, you have been called to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ in some way. We are a royal priesthood of believers. And might we not distance ourselves from the work of God, but might we press ourselves in to the work of God, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. If you have trusted in Jesus, you don't, You don't get a pass-go card when it comes to confessing him with your mouth in public. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We in Northeast Ohio have been entrusted to bring good news to those that we live with, that we work with, that we play with every day of our life. And we do this before the watchful eye of our God. We have been commissioned to go and make disciples with our lives. I believe that it is the desired will of God in Northeast Ohio that every man, woman, and child might have access to the gospel, and that access starts with you and me. So I believe, I believe that every person in this room was created in the very image of God. I believe that every person in this room has a dignity and a worth and a value that has been imprinted and stamped on you by your creator, God. I also believe that every person in this room has rebelled against God. In some form, in some shape, we have said, God, thank you for making me. No thank you for telling me how to live my life. I'm good on my own. But Jesus... But Jesus, he came, and he lived a perfect and sinless life, and he died on the cross for our rebellion. He knew that we would rebel against him. He knew of us running away, and in his great love, the Father gave him over to the cross so that we might have life. 
And by placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can be saved. You can be saved from your rebellion. You can receive a righteousness not of you can receive a righteousness not of your own, but through Him. There's not enough catechisms. There's not enough baptisms. There's not enough stained glass. There's not enough going to church that'll save you. Only Jesus Christ can save. And when we give our life to Jesus as our Redeemer to save us, we get this great news is that when we die, we get to forever be with him. But I'm just going to add to that good news because there's something for today. This isn't a gospel that's just about your death. This is a gospel about your life. What Jesus wants from you is not your life when you die. He doesn't want your eternity. He wants your life today. And he wants you to live and surrender to him. And I believe this more than anything. that When you surrender your life to Jesus, the best is only yet to come. Might we cast aside our rebellion? And might we be recreated into the image of our Savior to live for him day in and out, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, experiencing his peace, being built up, that we might be a church that multiplies ourselves, reproduces ourselves at every level, that the gospel might be known in and through the work and the ministry of the North Canton Chapel and the many other great churches in our time and our land that are doing the same work. I believe that that's what God wants for us as a church. And I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I'm going to say a few more things before we sing our last song together. Father, would you help us to be a church that reproduces ourselves at every level? Lord, we believe that there is a blueprint. There is a way in which you have called us to function and be. And Lord, we also believe that You lead us and guide us in 2018 in how to do that. But Lord, in the core of the DNA of this, we see that you you made us to be a people that celebrate you. People that are connected deeply to one another. And by our love for one another, we display you to a watching world. Lord, we believe that you've made us to be a church that gives of ourselves, that contributes time and talents and resources. And as we do these things, God, we know that you're leading us to reach others for you, to restore the broken things of this world back to you, to reproduce at every level this great work that you've done in us. Lord, help us to be a church makes much of you, Jesus, every day to everyone. Help us aim for what you've displayed to us through your holy word that is without error. Lord, might we, might we continue to strive to embrace the core DNA of your church in 2018. Jesus, we pray now that you would help us to respond because, Lord, we believe that you have made us a church collective as we're all here together, but individually, Lord, that we are the church. And help us to respond today in commitment to being that which you've called us to be, to doing that which you've called us to do. Lord, we thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand. And as you stand, 
we're going to sing a song. Song is a song you've never heard before, I don't think. And it's a song declaring who we are as a church. But more, more specific, who you are as a church. And as you listen to the song and you feel led, it's more of a song of response, a song of commitment, that when you sing the words, it means something in your heart to God. And so as God allows you, commit yourself as we respond with this song.